the book of Psalms. We're going to go through them verse by verse. And last week we covered all of chapter 1. Amazing. But we did an overview as well. So we're going to really crank it up today and cover chapter 2 and 3. Maybe. We'll see. It's all what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But I encourage you to get pen and paper because there's theology that we're going to be going over this morning. And I know people often question, well, what is, what is Calvary Chapel's theology or what is theology at all? What is it all about? And sometimes as I'm teaching, I'm, I'm discipling. This is my opportunity to disciple you as a mass group. There's no way I can disciple each of you individually. And so at this time on Sunday morning, please just don't take this as a study and you sit there and listen. It's, it, it is a study, but it's also a class. So it's like a Bible class. I'm going to be giving you scriptures. I'm going to be giving you information. And it's information that's vital to you and how you see the bigger picture. As you see this unroll, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So I encourage you to take notes. Write down scriptures. We'll have slides up. Um, take, take a picture with your phone or write them down, whatever the case may be. So you can grow. You can grow in your understanding of the timeline of our Christian faith. Because there is a timeline. So let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll jump into Psalm 2 and 3. Father, we we just thank you for this morning. And we do thank you and praise you for the grace and the goodness that you give to us. Uh, the sweet fellowship that we can have with one another, and that we can have with you right now. The God of all the universe. Father, your Holy Spirit, God, dwells within us right now even as we had our devotions this morning but even right now we can have intimate fellowship with you no other religion can say this we can invite your holy spirit right now to touch our hearts to make us to help us to understand these verses to grasp the bigger picture of our faith father i pray for the gift of teaching and Lord, that you'll be glorified in and through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Child care? Okay, so there's child care Wednesday night. So please come out and pray with us on Wednesday night. And the children will initially start in here. All right, Psalm 2. This is a messianic psalm about the kingdom age or what is referred to as the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial being 1,000. So the thousand year reign of Christ. Now, why is this important? Well, this is important because Reformed churches, Calvinist, as far as I understand, do not believe in a thousand-year reign of Christ. They do not believe in Revelation. Uh, Revelation is allegory, symbolic, uh, in, and it all took place at 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. So that's vital for theology. So if you're church shopping and you end up at a... Calvinist church, that's fine if you want to do that, but you should know your theology. They don't believe in the book of Revelation, literally. Here at Calvary, we literally believe the book of Revelation has yet to be fulfilled, and there's a specific time that it is going to be fulfilled. So that's key to your decision on finding a church. So, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain Thing. The word vain there is empty, pointless, useless. It's empty. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So here we see that the psalmist, he just, he just asks a very simple question. Why is the, why is this a vain thing? Why is it empty? And he's not really looking for a response, but rather he's making a statement with a question. You see, these verses tell us exactly what the vain thing the heathen are thinking about. Basically, the nations are contemplating how to overthrow the Lord in his ways. Not that this is happening in America at all. Not that this, this, these verses are applicable at all to our life today. As the, as the world tries to preach to you younger people. It's archaic. It's unrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. 
It's amazing how it's always applicable and it is always relevant. You see, there is going to come a day when the nations of the world will come to challenge God and his authority over them. A specific day. And it will be at the end of what is known as the Great Tribulation or what is known in the Old Testament as Jacob's Trouble. That final seven-year period prophesied about in the book of Daniel as well as Revelation. There are those who are going to gather themselves together to fight against God. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. But here is how the battle is really going to go in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's the battle. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. There's the battle. And destroy with the brightness of his coming. Wow, wasn't that a tough battle? You know, unfortunately, the world tries to promote that Satan is just as powerful as God. And they're bringing God down and obviously lifting Satan up. Not even close. Not even close at all. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come to this earth. And that is going to be the battle. You see, his voice via the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, is going to totally annihilate the enemy. Totally annihilate the enemy. But they are going to come against him and it will be a vain or empty thing. And even though that's future, we believe, that seems to be a familiar theme throughout the history of humanity as you look back. Let's break the bonds of this God. And you might even be able to relate this to your own life before you knew Christ or maybe even as a Christian. You went through a season in your life where... Man, God's just got me in bondage. I want to do what I want to do. How can I break loose? How can I do what I want to do? And you do that and you come to realize, I wasn't in bondage, but now I am. He was keeping me safe. He was a loving father. And I thought he was a cruel taskmaster. And you came to realize who God really is. This is very familiar. But you see, as believers, though, we desire to Allow God to rule and reign in our lives. At least we should. Jesus is our Savior as well as our Lord. And Lord means Master. You see, Christians realize that without God ruling over their lives, or should I say Christians should realize, I think most do, they would continue down a road of self-destruction. Even to this day, I can speak more for myself. If I did not allow the Holy Spirit to rule and reign over my life, I would self-destruct. That's just reality. Because there's a spiritual battle going on within all of us, the flesh and the spirit. And we have an opportunity every single day to feed either the flesh or to allow the Holy Spirit to rise. So for all of us in this room, we do know what we should do, but there's that battle and it's, and it's hard. It's difficult at times. Sometimes it's very, very easy. Most of the time it may be really easy. But there are times when, man, the battle becomes more intense. That's just reality. But with God ruling in our lives, though, we start to see the Holy Spirit give us strength over those sinful desires that cause us to self-destruct. I'm going to read that again. You think about it. And if you can identify with it, then you raise your hand when I'm done. Because there might be somebody here that's really wondering if this is true or not. Does God really have that ability to keep us safe? To overcome the enemy? So let me just read this again. And if you agree with it, that this could happen in your life, then raise your hand. With God ruling in our lives though, we start to see the Holy Spirit give us strength over those sinful desires that cause us to self-destruct. Can anybody identify with that? Now, if you keep your hands up because maybe you're struggling right now. Look around you. Look around you. This is reality. Don't give in to the enemy. Stay close to God. Because the world, they have no desire for God to rule over them. 
They think that they have it all together and that they will be able to achieve whatever they put their minds to. They are the mockers that were described in Psalm 1. They mock God's ways. They mock the Christian. They mock at the simplicity of the gospel. But the psalmist goes on to tell us God will not be mocked. He will have the last laugh, as we see in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. The word derision here means to speak unintelligently. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet, so now the psalmist points back to his own life. He's speaking about the world. Now it changes and he now points back to himself in the midst of the world. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So again, as we mentioned last week, we don't know the author of this psalm, but when you see that verse, it's probably a pretty good indication that it's David. Don't know for sure, so I wouldn't argue about it. But yet the point is, for you and for me, as we see the world trying to this very day throw God off of this nation, get the Ten Commandments off of everything, Pull it out of the system. Get prayer out of school. Get Bible out of school. Get Christian clubs out of school. Get Christianity out of school. Get God out. We don't want anything to do with God. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We're going down the exact same road. You see, every unbeliever will one day realize how foolish their wisdom was. It's pretty obvious to us as believers Already though, there has always been those who will try to figure out how to make things better without God in the picture. You probably have family members. I know I do. And it only becomes worse. You see, in these verses, we hear the voice of the Heavenly Father. The Lord shall allow them to fall into their own mockery. You know, Proverbs twenty six twenty seven says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. Trying to trip someone up, trying to trap someone up. You see, there will be a just judgment placed upon mankind because God is righteous. And there is a righteous standard whether mankind accepts that standard or not. That's the issue, the standard. That is the bottom line issue. Our opinion does not change the standard. So one day we will see Jesus rule and reign over the earth from the beautiful city of Jerusalem. And there will be a time of perfect judgment. This is just incredible. There will be no voting on judges. There will be no issue on what Jesus meant because Jesus will be dwelling amongst the believer as well as the unbeliever, which you'll come to understand what I mean by that. Verses 7 through 9. I will declare the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel." So here we see the Heavenly Father proclaim what is clearly seen in the New Testament. Jesus is God's one and only Son. Revelation shows us of that final great battle called Armageddon. Let's look at Revelation chapter 19. Again, this is our theology as believers, as members of Calvary, at least members of Calvary Chapel. We literally believe in a thousand year reign of Christ. We literally believe that he is going to return to this earth to rule and reign. Why do we believe that? Because the Bible tells us so. Why wouldn't we believe it? Revelation 19, verse 7. 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him. And you notice the him is capital H. So that's God or Jesus, but we know it to be Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. Who is the Lord's army? Who is coming back with Jesus? Those who have already passed. You and me. We are coming back with Jesus to have a battle. So are we all going to have swords? Are we going to have the latest technology? We just read the battle. Jesus shows up, battle over. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That was tough. It's amazing how easily we can get trapped up with these subtle little battles. And him and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Because we see a prophecy, I believe it's a prophecy, an exact day of when Jesus is going to return to this earth. The second coming. The literal second coming of Christ to this earth. Daniel chapter 12, 11 and 12 says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Interesting. I believe from various scriptures that we don't have time to go over this morning. You can do your own study. But I believe that 45-day time frame is when Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats, as is mentioned in Matthew. Those who survived the great tribulation by not taking the mark of the beast or those who did not participate in the final battle of Armageddon, these humans will go into what is called the kingdom age or the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign of Christ. The rest will be judged and sentenced to death or eternal separation from God. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So this is just hard to grasp. Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning for a thousand years. The battle of Armageddon has already taken place. Humans are going to repopulate the earth. It's going to go back to the pre-Noah days where there's going to be a perfect canopy around the earth. You'll see in a few verses here. And after a thousand years, people are still going to rebel when Satan is loose to go through the earth. He's not going to deceive us. We're going to have our new glorified bodies. But he's going to be allowed to deceive the humans because humans have free will. You see, during that thousand year reign, you and me, we're going to help humans keep their free will in check. They're going to want to do something with their free will. We're going to say, ah, 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 ah. No, you're not doing that. That's sin. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. But at the end, they're going to be allowed to choose. Do you want God? Do you want Jesus after a thousand years? Or do you you want what you want to do? What do you want to do? They have that free will. They have to make that free will choice. And so he is going to be released for a thousand years. We're finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on his forehead or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So it's going back and forth. That's why you want to read the Bible every day from Genesis to Revelation because it's easy to get confused. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were at the end of the thousand years. We were. Then we just streamed back to the very beginning of the thousand years. So just keep reading, keep reading and studying, reading and studying. It will become clearer and clearer. 
You see, it is during this time that we will rule and reign, as I just mentioned, with Jesus. And there will be no sin allowed. But it fulfills what we just read in Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is yet to be fulfilled. How about Isaiah 65? Isaiah 65. And you might think, well, where did you get that pre-flood stuff from? Well, let's look at Isaiah 65, 20 through 25. Because again, when you have a question, just go back to the word of God. Isaiah 65, 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For a child shall die 100 years old. During the millennial reign of Christ, I believe it's going to go back to that pre-Noah days where people were living to be six, seven, eight hundred years. Thank God I'm going to be done. But people are going to be living that long. And, and in my mind, I kind of equate it when you know your first 10 years, that's going to be the first 100. When you're in your 20s, it'll be the 200s. When you're in your 30s, it'll be the 300s. That's the way I look at it. I, who knows? But I just thank God I'm not going to have to go through it. Praise God. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be a curse. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit So in other words, war is not going to take place anymore. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb, you'll notice there's not a verse that says the lion and the lamb. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. What a blessing that is going to be that time, that thousand year reign of Christ. How about Revelation chapter 2 again? If you can keep up, I'm going to read these quick. If not, uh, you can write them down. And he who overcomes and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. So again, you might be thinking, well, what what makes you think we're going to rule and reign with Christ? How about Luke 19, 17? Luke 19, 17. And, and he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 5 of Revelation 9.10 And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Guys, that verse is still taking place today. As those who mock the Bible say, well, how does God reach the little African pygmy? I don't know. But the Bible says he does. And if God can speak the world into being, I think he can reach the little African pygmy. It's that simple. And here we see that out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, they're going to be gathered to God. Let's not be so consumed with worrying about something that we're really not going to do anything about anyways. But let's maybe get consumed with having a revival in our own hearts and maybe impacting the four, the six, the eight, the ten people that are right around us for Christ. 
And somebody who comes up to you or to me and says that, you might want to encourage them to do the same thing. Because, you know, I'm not going to Africa to the pygmy. But there's people around me who need Jesus. So I can use that as an excuse to not do anything, or I can get off my butt and do what God's called me to do and witness for Christ. It's very simple. Verse 10, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Praise God. Back in Psalm 2. Now therefore, verse 10, Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Fear here is reverence or respect. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Since these things are going to happen, since we know these things are going to happen, it would be best to repent and just serve the Lord now. And the psalmist gives a plea to those who are in authority to kiss, which was an obvious form of worship or reverence. This is not like kissing the ring of the Pope or some other religious figure. No. This is directly related to God. We worship God and God alone. As you read the word of God, even angels rebuked anyone who bowed down to worship an angel. The angels even know better. No, God is the only one who deserves worship. But notice at the verse, at the end of verse 12 there, kiss the son lest he be angry and perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. And I have this highlighted in my Bible. Blessed are those, are all those who put their trust in him. That's you. That's me. If we put our trust in God. And that word blessed there is plural. How happy. Not how happy I'm going to Disneyland. I am going to heaven. That is a guarantee. Disneyland? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Heaven? Guaranteed. I am blessed. You are blessed. And when you keep that perspective, whether you go to Disneyland or not, who cares? We're blessed. Let's keep our focus on that. Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. This is a very sad commentary on a life. And this was actually prophesied when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, that this was going to take place. And this took place many years later, but it did take place. God said through the prophet, David, you're going to pay. And you're going to pay even from your own family. And so it's a mourning song, a weeping song, a mourning. That's not mourning sunrise, but mourning as in grieving. You see, David was fleeing Jerusalem from his son, Absalom, you can find the whole story in 2 Samuel 15, chapters 15 through chapters 19. And here we see, though, in this psalm, the point of the psalm is that David still waited upon God to maintain his kingdom. You see, early on in his calling to become the king of Israel, David had two opportunities to kill the current king, King Saul, the first king of Israel, who was chasing David to kill David, David had two opportunities to kill King Saul. And he said, no, God will take care of King Saul. I'm going to honor the king because that's what God said to do. And so even here we see that David is totally relying, he's towards the end of his life now, he's totally relying upon God. You see, David left the kingdom in the hands of God. And waited for God to deliver him from his son, who is now his enemy. If his time of ruling and reigning in the nation of Israel is over, then so be it. But David knew that it would be God who would make the final decision. Lord, verse 1, How have they increased who troubled me? Many are they who rise up against me. Let's look at Second Samuel 15 to at least just get the beginning part of the story. Second Samuel 15, 1 through 6. And again, I encourage you to read your whole Bible. I know we can get bogged down with the Old Testament. Just read it. Get it in your head that it will sink down into your heart. And so in Second Samuel 15, 
After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. So it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right. But there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I, I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put his hand out and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted towards all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Back in Psalm 3, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Interesting. You see, David shares with us what his enemies were saying about his God. Not necessarily about David, but about his God. That is a very important aspect about our Christian walk because it really doesn't matter what people say about me. It really doesn't. I'm nobody special as far as this earth goes. But when they talk about God, you know, that's a different story. A totally different story. You see, God will defend himself and will also defend me as well. And if you do the scriptures, if you look at the scriptures, you will remember that David learned this principle. And if you'd like to do a further study, take the word defense. I often encourage people when they come in, take the word defense. And actually, it should have a C instead of an S in there. D-E-F-E-N-C-E. Type in defense and see how David learned that God would be his defense. See how God came through for him. And you will find out yourself with whatever particular particular incident you're in. You represent God to the best of your ability. And let God be your defense. Just let God be your defense. It works out really, really well. If you get opportunity to be called into your manager's office and you need to make a statement, by all means, do that. But you don't have to make excuse for being a very good employee if you're a really good employee. You don't have to make any excuses about being on time if you're on time. You don't have to make excuses about taking something from the company that you never took. Let God be your defense. And if they walk you out the door, praise God. That means God has something better for you. And looking back over my 40 years with the Lord, I have learned this over and over and over again. Stop worrying. Don't be anxious. Because when he closes the door, he's got something way better. Way better, praise God. So I just want to encourage any of you that might be in this particular situation, trust God. Let him be your defense. Be responsible. Do what you need to do. Be on time. Keep being on time no matter what the accusations are. Keep working. Keep being diligent. Because know that God's going to take care of you. And if he moves you on, praise the Lord. He is a faithful God. He's not going to move you to the edge of the cliff and then kick you off. But somehow people get this mentality. Oh, God's taking me to the edge of the cliff. I don't know what he's going to do. Really? That's a great father. I would love to have a father like that. Who's your father? Give me a break. That is not your father. That is the enemy whispering in your ear. You see, how many today will say in one way or another to us, there's no help for God for you. Where's your God now? No. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, and you probably have this memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's hard. All my heart? All my heart? But what about my job? Is God going to really take care of my job? Hmm, I, I don't know if he can do that or not. I bet he can. 
All your heart. What about my physical ailments? All your heart. What about my financial woes? All your heart. All. In the Hebrew and the Greek means the same. All. It's amazing. But that's hard. I understand this. I'm human. It's hard to give God all of your heart. But the psalmist says, Selah. And we believe that to be a, a musical pause. Remember, again, we're singing a song here. It's a pause. Think about what you just sang. Even on Sunday morning, guys. We're not just singing songs for filler. So you can drop your kids off in Sunday school and get here at 10.30. Or, I mean, 9.30. Or 11.30. It's not filler time. It's time to come in and think about God. Because we've had a tough week. We need to be worshiping God with our songs. With our voices, with our hearts. And saying, God, it's been a tough day, but I praise you anyways. It's been a tough week, a tough month, a tough year. God, I am here to proclaim your goodness. And the songs we sang this morning, every week, it's just phenomenal. But you got to look at the words and think about the words. Think about this, the psalmist says. Think about this. The world's saying there's no help for you in God. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you go to church? Why do you pray? Think about it. Look back in your life and see how God has always been there. Always been there. Verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. Now again, think about this. This is David having to run from Jerusalem. All the comforts of the palace. I cried to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me from his holy hill. Think about that. They say, where is your God? I'm not listening to you. I'm going to my God. And I know that he's in heaven and he has control. He saved me from Saul. He's going to save me from Absalom. And if not, then my time is over and I'm ready to go home to be with him. But I'm going to wholeheartedly put my trust in him. That's the declaration that David makes. That God is his shield. That God is the one who receives the glory. And it will be God who lifts up David's head. Even though there were those who were coming against him and were much younger, by the way, David acknowledges his trust in God. You see, through David's trials, this is key. Through David's trials, his faith was increased. You might think, why do I have to go through this trial? Why am I going through this trial? That's a valid question. But you also want to realize, if I have a loving father, if I really believe I have a loving father, then he has a plan and a purpose behind this trial. That he is going to be with me, He is going to take me through it. And what is he actually doing? I mean, what do we do with our children when they're young? We give them trials, right? Okay, you can ride your bike out on the sidewalk. Don't ride in the street. And you can only go down to that house and you can only go down to that house. That's a trial. They ride their bike out on the street. Get your bike in here. You're done. Put it in the backyard. You're going to get hit by a car. You're done. Till you can stay on the sidewalk. You're done. You're so mean. You're so cruel. Then they learn to stay on the sidewalk. And they learn their boundaries, don't they? That's God. He takes care of us. He wants to take care of. He wants to provide for us. He wants to protect us. He is so faithful. He sets up the boundaries. But we keep pushing the boundaries. We keep pushing the envelope. And those trials that we go through, we should be able to look back and go, ah, why? Maturity. Stay on the sidewalk. That's mature. Stay in the boundaries. That's mature. But I want to go past the boundaries. No, that's not mature. David had learned that his trials that he had gone through were to increase his face, increase his maturity. So that when he goes through this next trial, my son's chasing me. My son wants to kill me. He can look back and go, yeah, King Saul wanted to kill me too. It's estimated up to possibly 10 years David ran from Saul. Yeah, I remember. I remember the king. And he had 3,000 men at one time that chased me and surrounded me. But God delivered me. 
Ah, God, you got it under control. I'm going to serve you. That's what trials are for. So that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can mature. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. Notice what takes place. If you have an issue with anxiety or panic attacks, they're very real. You want, to do, you want to develop your trust in the Lord. You want to start memorizing scriptures. You want to start looking back to see how the enemy has brought you, how God has brought you through the enemy's tactics time after time and time and time. And as you do that, you are going to find your anxiety is going to go away because your trust is going to be built up. And yes, we all have issues with anxiety. It happens all the time. But the more mature we get, we get those in order. We, we grab a hold of them very quickly. I slept down, I laid down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. You know, what a verse. Again, through all of his years of serving the Lord, even in the midst of adversity, David had learned to rest in what God had planned for his life sustained me those two words there they mean to lean on to lay to rest get your brain going to rest matthew chapter 11 27 through 30 to rest hmm that might sound familiar again if you're reading your bible from genesis to revelation the holy spirit is going to stir your mind he sustains me I awoke for the Lord sustained me to lean, to lay, to rest. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now here's the great exhortation for you and me this morning. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that an awesome promise? I will. He will. No, he won't. Yes, he will. No, I don't think he will. <laughs> the Bible says so. Yeah, but you... Okay, that's between you and him. I really believe he will. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gently and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we look back into the psalm. You see, Absalom was trying to bring fear into the life of David. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to overtake the kingdom. David said, I trust in God. And if it's my time to go home to him, so be it. But I'm trusting in God. God has a plan and a purpose. I'm just going to keep going to the throne of God. And I'm going to lay down and sleep because I know God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone and have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Remember, this is a song, right? This is probably rap right here. (laughs) Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Think about it. Guys, salvation. Salvation. Not only eternal salvation, but even, what is David doing? He's fleeing from his son. Temporal salvation. Who are you maybe fleeing from from right now? Or do you think you need to flee from right now? Maybe you do need to separate yourself right now from something. But go to God. Trust in the Lord. Seek His will. Seek His ways. He will meet you. He will answer you. You see, David gets out of the way and allows God to execute his judgment. And that is always the best thing to do. David's hope was built upon the times that God did protect and deliver him. And God wouldn't stop now. David knew that. No, God would show himself faithful once again in the eyes of David. Salvation truly belongs unto God. He knows how and when to save us out of all of our trials and tribulations. And that's a hard lesson to learn at times. 
But he does know how and when to save us out of all our trials and tribulations. He is faithful even when we're not because he desires to bless us with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I think this psalm is a good exhortation for every believer to stay focused on what God has for us and not to worry about what man might do to you. How about Hebrews chapter 13? And we'll wrap it up with these verses. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Because the enemy is pressing in upon us. The enemy is trying to destroy our testimony. He can't take our salvation but he can try to destroy our testimony. So learn to stand strong in the Lord. Hebrews 13. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What? can man do to me? Awesome psalm. It's applicable for today. It's relevant for today when you think of our Christian faith and how it's being attacked. Fear neutralizes faith. Don't be afraid. What can man do to me? God will take care of us. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for these psalms how they are applicable, how they're so practical, how they apply even to our world today as we see even our own nation trying to throw your ways off. Father, we thank you for the faithful remnant that is still in America. We know there are millions of Bible-believing Christians that desire to seek after you and follow your ways. But there are far far more who want to throw off your word. They look at it as bondage. Lord, we thank you and praise you as believers, mature believers, that we can say thank you for your word. It just keeps us safe. It gives us that ability to rest at night. Thank you, Father, for your word. Continue to make it alive this week as we do our devotions throughout the week. As we meditate on your word throughout the day. As we lift up prayers to your throne of grace. Help us to remember you are our defense. That you will take care of us. You will provide for us. Father, I thank you that we can even call you Father. You're not some distant God. You're our Father. And you desire to bless us with spiritual blessings. Love. Peace. Self-control. Father, we thank you and praise you for the fruit of the Spirit. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And you don't have peace. You've tried the world. And no one else might know this, but you know it in your heart. You do not have peace. Just surrender this morning. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. It really is that simple. But you have your free will. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you would like to have God to become your Father, then you pray this simple prayer. And if you are sincere, God knows your heart, God hears your prayer, and He will answer that prayer. He will send His Holy Spirit to come within you. And His Holy Spirit will comfort you and strengthen you. And His Holy Spirit will lead you through His Word into all truth. Just pray this simple prayer if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior. God, I need a Savior. 
tried. It's come up empty. It's vain. The psalmist said it 3,000 years ago. And here I am. It's empty. It's vain. So I finally surrender to you, Father. Right now, in eternity, I, I, I surrender to you. I'm done. I need you. I need Jesus. So I invite Jesus into my heart right now. I allow your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. To lead me through your word into all truth. Thank you. That you receive me just as I am. And you will teach me. To stay on the sidewalk. You will lead me. In the paths of righteousness. Thank you father. For this wonderful time in eternity right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this day. Use us for your glory this day, this week. And Lord, help us to have an influence and impact on those around us. We only have so many days left in this crazy world. Help us to use them to the best of our abilities. In Jesus' precious name, amen, 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 amen. God is good. Well, won't we all stand? God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Remember, fasting and prayer if you'd like to, as well as the Harvest America. Sign up in the lobby. Grab information. Let's pray that people get saved. God bless you guys. If you receive Jesus, please come up. We'd love to meet you. God bless you guys.